we'll go ahead and dismiss our children this morning to Kids Church. As our children are migrating out, I want to uh, challenge you guys. Uh, this is uh, the second Sunday uh, of the Lenten season. Uh, and for us lifelong Baptists, uh, we look and we say, what does that mean? Uh, you know, there's, there's something uh, that I believe uh, the Roman Catholic Church brings to the table uh, that uh, in some ways uh, I'm somewhat jealous of. Uh, they have a calendar uh, a liturgical calendar that they follow and built into the calendar are aspects of uh, the Christian faith that remind us of Christ, that remind us of, of our faith. Uh, and Lent is one of those things that as Baptists, uh, we don't like uh, because, because Lent is something that we're supposed to, you know, during the time of Lent, we're supposed to fast. Uh, and as every good Baptist, we like our food, we want to eat, we, 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 in fact, we, we like lots and lots of food. Uh, but I did want to encourage you, uh, uh, if you uh, are so inclined, the scripture does tell us uh, that we are to fast. Uh, that we are, Jesus says, not if you fast, but when you fast. Uh, and so as God lays upon your heart, maybe during this Lenten season, uh, that you would fast from, uh, from something uh, during this Lenten season as a reminder uh, of, the of the price that was paid, reminder of uh, what Christ has done upon the cross, that he gave up everything for us. So uh, there's my uh, Lenten spiel this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, we are going to continue to walk through the book of Matthew. Uh, we are on track to finish the book of Matthew right around Easter time. So hopefully we'll be at the resurrection uh, right about Easter uh, and we'll be talking about the Great Commission. So we are, we are almost done. You guys have almost made it. <laughs> Steve shakes his head. Uh, you know, uh, uh, we were in, in fact, a couple years ago, whenever Joel came on board, uh, he said we were about in, we were in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, so that's about right. So it'll take us about three years to get through the book of Matthew. So you guys, uh, you guys are almost done. You've almost made it. Uh, Matthew chapter 26, we're going to be reading verses 69 through 75 this morning. Matthew 26, 69 through 75. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a certain servant girl came to him and said, You too were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them, saying, I do not know what you're talking about. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath, saying, I do not know the man. A little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, surely you too are one of them. For the way you talk gives you away. And then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately a cock crowed. And Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said, Before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Let's pray. God, we thank you. 
that even in the midst of our denial, even in the midst of our lack of faith, even in the midst of our failure, you love us. You love us so intensely that you would send Jesus. who personified that love in the way that He lived and died on a cross that we might have eternal life. God, this morning, may You speak to us, may You speak to our hearts, may You encourage us through Your Word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I titled this sermon this morning, Don't Get Too Close. And... It's my prayer that as you leave this place today, that you will experience a closer, deeper walk with Jesus. I think it's interesting, as we look at the text, where this passage falls. This passage falls immediately following Jesus' the, the, the section of the text that follows Jesus' trial. Jesus stands before Caiaphas stands, we know from John's gospel that he first stood before Annas, then he stands before Caiaphas, then he stands before Pilate, then he'll go before Herod, then he'll go back before Pilate, then they'll bring him before the crowds. And so so we see this, this trial of Jesus in front of very powerful, very influential, uh, very, very important people. And we see Jesus standing. We see him standing in strength. We see him standing in holiness. We see him standing in power. We see him silent before his accusers, humbly, forfeiting his right to be right, forfeiting his, his authority so that he may become, so that he may become the Lamb of God that God had called him to be. And we contrast that against Peter's trial, Peter's interrogation. Do you, do, you, do you see how the text does this? Jesus stands and is interrogated by Annas and by Caiaphas and by Pilate and by Herod and by Pilate again. And then Peter stands and he's interrogated by whom? By peasants. By nobodies. By a maidservant. By, by women of all things. And in that day and age, in that day and age, please don't take this as a sexist comment, but in that day and age, Women were, were the lowest of the low of the class. In fact, women weren't even allowed in some markets and, and, and in some public squares. They certainly weren't allowed in, in courtrooms. They certainly weren't going to be uh, those, those whose, whose testimony uh, would, be, would be counted. In fact, it's interesting that the Gospels, that, that in the Gospels, the women are the first ones to show up at the tomb of Jesus because in a court of law, a woman's testimony was not even heard. And so Peter is being interrogated by women. And does he respond in strength? Does he respond in power? Does he respond in boldness? No. He cowers. Moments after he has said, I will never deny you. It's a good thing we don't act like Peter, right? How many of us have, have ever been, we've, we've, uh, has anybody ever made a deal with God? Has anybody ever made a deal with God? You know, after, after Thanksgiving, you, you, you're in your meat coma, and, and you say, God, if you will let me not vomit, 
I will never eat that much again. Or, or, or we, you know, I remember whenever I was a teenager and, you know, you, you have that first broken heart and, and you're laying in your bed and you're crying, God, if you would just let me have a girlfriend, I will never ask you for anything else in the world or, or, or whatever it is. We've all made a deal with God. We've all, all you know, we've, we've bargained and, and, and we said, God, if you will just do this or if you will just allow this, then, then, then I will never or I will always. And then the first time we have that opportunity, what happens? We renege on our deal, don't we? We, 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 we crawfish and we say, oh, I was just joking. I didn't really mean that, what I was talking about. Here is Peter. He stood with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and, and Jesus came back and said, Dude, why are you sleeping? Why are you still asleep again and again and again? And, and he's, he's just told them days, uh, hours before that one of you will deny me. And Peter pipes up and says, I will never deny you. If I have to die with you, I will never deny, I will never deny you. And hours later, when he's questioned by a woman, a maidservant of all people, he cowers. He denies Jesus. I want to point your attention to Matthew chapter 26, verse 58. I want you to see something that's interesting. The scripture tells us in verse 58 that Peter followed Jesus out of the Garden of Gethsemane. Now remember, Jesus is, uh, there is a cohort of Roman soldiers, probably about six to 800 Roman soldiers that show up. There is other Jewish officials, other other Jews that were there because they attacked Jesus and they came to arrest Jesus with swords and clubs. And, and so, so we know there's probably somewhere between 800 to 1,000 people that are there to arrest Jesus. They arrest Jesus. They lead him out of the garden. And the scripture says in verse 58 that Peter followed. Peter followed Jesus, but look at what it says. Peter followed Jesus at a distance. Verse 58 tells us that Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest, and he entered in and he sat down with the officers to see the outcome. Let me set, set the stage for you. It's nighttime. They don't have street lights. This isn't, you know, there are no floodlights on the courtyard. Uh, there's no, no lighting out there. So, so the, the, the courtyard would have been set up. It, it would have been, it would have been like, like, like a big patio where all of the servants and all of the officers and all of the, uh, the, the, the people coming and going that night would have been hanging out. There were probably a few small campfires, maybe, maybe some stuff burning in a, in a trash can. Uh, uh, there would, that, that would have been the only light there. And so Peter follows Jesus, staying far enough away that he can see what's going on, but not so close that, that he is implicated with Christ. You know, we spent uh, Mardi Gras week in Tennessee, and uh, we had an amazing time. We went and visited uh, Mr. Timothy and Annie Newton. Many of you remember uh, Mr. Timothy and Miss Annie. They've moved up to Tennessee, and uh, they have a house in the mountains, uh, and so they've retired up there. We went up there to visit them. Well, while we were there, uh, we went and uh, we drove through the mountains, and, and one of our favorite places in the mountains uh, is Cage Cove, and you can drive around this this valley, and and in the valley there are uh, there are animals everywhere, and you can see all the old homesteads and things like that. Well, 
every time we would stop and we would see uh, animals, the, the, the kids would want to jump out of the car and they would want to run up and, 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 and go see what, what, was, what, what it was, whether it was a deer or whether, uh, whatever it was. And here you, you, you see a picture uh, of Nicholas taking a picture of a deer. And you can see how close we were. And every time the kids would jump out, Natalie would say, don't get too close. Don't get too close. You know, the, the, these deer, they, they might charge you. You know, don't get too close. Now, I remember this past summer when we went, you know, there, we saw a couple bears. And, and oh, my gosh, she was beside herself. Whenever the, you know, the kids would jump out, uh, you know, it, it was the mama bear and her came out. And she was like, don't do, do you know, she, she wants you to stay about 300 yards away. You know, that, that's, that's almost too close. Uh, and and that's, that's, just, that's just Natalie. She, is, she, she worries about everything. She gets an honest from her dad. But, but she, she always warned the kids. She said, she said, don't get too close. And it's interesting as we look at the text. Peter wanted to make sure he didn't get too close. He wanted to make sure that he was far enough away that, that he could see what was going on far enough away that, that, that he was aware, far enough away that, that he could maybe report back to the disciples. But he didn't want to get too close. And as Peter's standing there in the courtyard, around the fire, trying to listen to what's going on, maybe within earshot of the trial, maybe within earshot of Jesus' interrogation, and then that fire new piece of log would be thrown on and that, that fire would flare up and the light of that fire shined on Peter and somebody recognized him and they said, you were with him. Immediately Peter denies him. And I want you to notice what the text says. Go back to Matthew chapter 26, verse 71. Verse 70 tells us that he denied it before them, saying, I do not know what you're talking about. Verse 71 says that when he had gone out to the gateway. I want you to notice what happened. Peter was standing in the courtyard, and somebody recognized him and says, you were with Jesus. And so what's Peter's response? He says, I don't know what you're talking about. And he removes himself. He goes further away. Notice it says he goes to the gateway. He was in the middle of the courtyard. Now he backs up even further. He wants to make sure he doesn't get too close. So he backs up to the edge of the courtyard, to the gate. And he says, let me, let me put a little bit more distance between me and Jesus. I want to make sure that I'm not implicated. I want to make sure that I'm not arrested, that I don't have to stand before, Caiaph before Caiaphas. I want to make sure that I don't have to stand before Annas. Make sure that I don't have to stand before Pilate and Herod. I want to put a little more distance between me and Jesus. And so he steps back. Yet again, he's recognized. And he said, yeah, you, you were with Jesus the Nazareth. And he swears, I don't know that man. And then as he's talking, they recognize his Galilean accent. And he said, I know you're from the region of Galilee. That's where Jesus lived. That's where he ministered. You've got to know him. And he begins to curse and swear. Immediately, the cock crows. 
Peter, standing from afar, denies Jesus. I believe that most of us want to follow Jesus just like Peter did. We want to follow Jesus from afar. We want to follow Jesus that we're close enough to where we can maybe reap some ancillary benefits from knowing Jesus, that we can maybe be moral, ethical, maybe our kids can, can know right from wrong, maybe we can, we can somehow receive some, some ancillary benefits from knowing Jesus, from being associated, affiliated with the church, in this Judeo-Christian society that we live in. We want to follow Jesus from afar. So long as it doesn't mean that our family will be directly affected, so long as it doesn't mean that our paycheck will be directly affected, so long as it doesn't mean that, that it's going to cost us too much, so long as I don't lose friends, so long as I don't lose my status, we'll follow Jesus from afar. But it's interesting. Following Jesus from afar leads to an increase in sin, both quantitatively and qualitatively. As Peter was following Jesus from a distance, he first began to deny that he even knew Jesus. Then he swore an oath. He said, I swear that I don't know this man. Then he began to curse, denying any association, any affiliation with Jesus. Do you see how... Following Jesus at a distance is not beneficial, but rather it causes sin to increase in, in number and in quality. I want you to see the implications that the Scripture talks about in following Jesus. If you go to the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verse 8, Paul says this about his followership of Jesus. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul says this. He says, More than I count all things to be loss, in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, in order that I may know Christ. Paul said this. He said, knowing Jesus is worth more than anything. This is the pearl of great price. This is that great treasure that once you find it, you will sell everything you have so that you can get it. Because Paul understood that nothing else matters. And I can't follow Jesus from a distance because when I follow Jesus from a distance, it is nothing. But I am going to follow Jesus so intently and so closely that everything else, it doesn't matter. Paul said it like this in another passage in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, in his farewell address to the church at Ephesus. He said, but I don't in any way consider my life dear to myself that I may finish the course which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Paul said this, he said, in order to follow Jesus, my life means nothing. Everything that I have, everything that I own, all my relationships, all of that is, is I'm willing to sacrifice that I may fulfill the ministry that God has called me to. 
And so this is the question I have for us today, church. Are we following Jesus like Peter? Are we following Jesus from a distance? Do we want to stay close enough that, that we may be able to be associated sometimes when it's beneficial to us? Whenever Jesus shows up and he feeds 5,000 people and he says, Here, Peter, why don't you go give them some bread and fish? That's fun. When Jesus is out on the walking on the water and, and he calls to Peter to get out of the boat and Peter can walk across the water. Yeah, I want to walk across the water. I want to receive those benefits. Whenever Jesus is, is casting out demons and whenever Jesus is healing miracles. Remember just earlier in the gospel, whose mother-in-law was healed by Jesus? Peter. Peter loved being around Jesus so long as he received benefits from Jesus. But whenever it cost him something, when he may be arrested, when he may stand trial, when he may be implicated in, in, in something that may be detrimental to him, he said, I, I don't want to get too close. What if following Jesus cost you something? What if following Jesus cost you your family? What if following Jesus cost you your job? What if following Jesus cost you your children? I believe that as we follow Jesus, from afar, we suffer greatly. In Acts chapter 4, verse 20, Peter and John on the other side of Pentecost realize that they can't follow Jesus from afar. Yes, they may beat me. Yes, they may kill me. But I cannot help but speak about what we've seen and what we've heard. Church, if you've had an encounter with Jesus, if you've met Him, if you have had an encounter with the grace of God, you cannot help but speak about what you've seen and what you've heard. My fear is that most of us in the church have known Jesus from afar. We've never had an encounter with the gospel, with the grace of God. David Platt used this illustration years ago. He said, I meet people all the time and they, they, they tell me of their relationship with Jesus, yet their life is not impacted in any way, shape, or form. The way that they live their life before meeting Jesus doesn't look any different than the way that they live their life after meeting Jesus. And I can't help but wonder if they've ever met the same Jesus that I've met. Because the Jesus that I have met is the creator of the universe. He spoke the world into existence. The Jesus that I met was in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The Jesus that I met was the commander of the Lord's army in the book of Joshua. The Jesus that I met was born of a virgin, died a savior, rose victorious over sin, death, and the grave, and has promised to come back for his church. The Jesus that I met transformed the world. And they meet this Jesus and their life doesn't change. It's, it's, it's as if somebody gets hit by an 18-wheeler and they walk in the door and you can't even tell. When you have an encounter with the God of the universe, He transforms your life. When you have an encounter with the grace of God, He transforms your life. And you can't follow Him from afar because you know Him as your Savior and as your Lord and as your best friend. I believe most of us 
Follow Jesus like Peter did in Matthew chapter 26 from a distance. It's interesting. If you go back to the text, Matthew chapter 20, Matthew chapter 26, I want us to look at Peter's statement. In verse 70. Scripture says he denied it before them. That word deny is the same Greek word that is translated elsewhere in Scripture to disown. It's not simply that, that yeah, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I know that guy. Peter was making the statement he was disowning Jesus. It was an outright severing of ties. Peter attempts to disown Jesus. Yet, what is Jesus' response? God will hold tight to Peter. Even though Peter tries to disown him, even though Peter tries to, to, to push Jesus away, what is God's response? He holds him tight. God will hold tight to him. If we are His bought with His blood, there is no sin, there is no, no repetition of sin, there is no depth of sin, there is no quality of sin, nor quantity of sin, so deep that God will disown us. We can try as much as we want to disown Him, but God will never disown us. If we are His, we are His, and we always will be His. Look at John chapter 10, verse 29. See what Jesus says to his disciples. He says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to pluck them. No one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Because he holds us. Salvation does not belong to you and me. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jesus is the one who paid for our debt. Jesus is the one who purchased our eternity. Jesus is the one who satisfied the wrath of God. And Jesus is the one who is going to keep us. In Christ. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says, Paul said, I am faithful, I am confident of this, that, that he who is faithful and just to save us will keep us. That he who began a good work in you is faithful and just to keep us until the day of Christ Jesus. You don't like the way it says there, John chapter 18 verse 9. Look at what it says. He says, in order to fulfill the word of which he spoke, of those whom you have given to me, of those whom God has given to Jesus, I have lost how many of them? One, two, three, seventeen, none. But Peter denied Jesus. Peter cursed him. Peter cursed his name. Peter said, I do not know him. I will never know him. Yet no nothing, no depth of sin, no amount of sin is able to snatch Peter from the hand of It's interesting, this same Peter who denied Jesus, this same Peter who denied that he even knew this Jesus makes this statement in Acts chapter 4, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 2. Less than six weeks after Peter had denied Jesus three times, less than six weeks after Peter had been humiliated, Less than six weeks, 
after Peter had humiliated himself not only before Jesus, but before all of his disciples. Listen to what he says in Acts chapter 2. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God had made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Is he denying him now? No. This same Peter, who had denied Jesus so adamantly, whenever he dies, he is arrested by the Roman government. He's tried, convicted of treason, sentenced to death, says this, if you're going to crucify me, you've got to crucify me upside down. Because I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same manner in which my Lord was crucified. Is he denying Jesus now? And it's not church. It is not because, because he is this great man. The difference between Peter after the crucifixion and before the crucifixion is before the crucifixion, Peter followed Jesus from a distance. After the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Peter ran to Jesus. He followed him, not from afar, but he followed him as closely as he could humanly possible. He wanted to be next to Jesus. He wanted to be in the middle of everything. He was the epitome of a disciple. And it's interesting that whenever Jesus shows up in John chapter 21 and confronts Peter about his, his denial... Peter doesn't run from Jesus, he runs to Jesus. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know I love you. And weeping, he comes to Jesus. Church, we cannot follow Jesus from afar. When we follow Jesus from a distance, our sin increases both quantitatively and qualitatively. When we run to Jesus and when we follow him closely, and even in the midst of our sin, when we run to Christ, even in the midst of our, the depth of our depravity, when we run to Christ, we find grace, we find mercy, we find forgiveness, and he empowers us to speak boldly on his behalf. The question this morning is for us. Are we going to follow Jesus from a distance? Or are we going to follow Jesus closely? Are we going to do everything in our power to forsake this world and run after Christ? Let's pray. Father, your word calls us not to follow Jesus in name only, not to follow Jesus from afar, not to follow Jesus only whenever it is beneficial to us, but your word calls us to follow Jesus with everything that we have, to forsake this world to run to Him, even in the midst of our sin, even in the midst of our failures, even in the midst of our own denials, to run to Jesus and find grace and find mercy. There's some of you out there this morning who are just like Peter. 
you've messed up once, twice, three times, countless times. And you think that that God would never be able to forgive me, that I can never have the intimate relationship with God that, that I want. Jesus says, quit following me from afar and come close. He wants to pull you close to him. He wants you. He wants you to come to him and cry out, Abba, Father. He wants to pour out grace and mercy to you. There's some of you out there who've been following Jesus from afar because it may cost you something. And this morning, the Holy Spirit has convicted you that there is a pearl of great price. There's a great treasure worth much more than this world has to offer. As we sing the song of invitation, may you do business with the Holy Spirit this morning. May you not follow Jesus from afar, but may you run to him. And may you find his arms open wide. God, we pray you'd move in this place this morning. In Jesus' name we pray.